0: Just a quick note to our listeners, this is episode 11 of the series. If you haven't already, you should go back and listen to the first 10 episodes so that you're up to date.
1: We are going to begin the case of the state of Florida versus Anthony John Tote.
2: Megan Tote and himself had an agreement that everybody needed to die. You observed him to be uh, incoherent.
1: Yes, some of the things he was saying um, weren't coming out, clearly could not decipher them.
3: That's something that could be sustained if someone were stabbing themselves or if they were being stabbed by somebody else.
4: If it's not possible to assess definitively whether diphenhydramine was the cause of death. You
0: take full take responsibility. Once it's done. Oh,
2: did
4: you kill your family? No.
0: From the day in New London, Connecticut, I'm Sten Spinella, and this is Looking for the Tote Family.
1: You, Anthony John Tote, are a destroyer of worlds.
0: We assume many of the people listening to this podcast have paid some attention to Tony's trial and know that he's been convicted for murdering his family and the family dog. All we can do, all we've tried to do from the beginning, is to report to you in the clearest possible way what is going on with this case. For more than two years, we have been following the Tote family's story. That has required digging, finding the truth when it wasn't readily available. This time, it was all laid out for us in the trial, what we'd been waiting for since January of 2020. We had questions that we hoped the trial would resolve, like, Why were there zip ties and a gun in crime scene photos? Did Tony sleep all night in the driver's seat of his van? What did he tell police in his alleged confession? What was his motive behind the crime? When did they die? And why did Tony stay in the house with the bodies? But now that we've been given these answers, we've been forced to square them with what we already know, which has only raised more questions. We've also been forced to consider the sources the prosecution asked the jury to believe Tony's stated motive when he confessed to police in January of 2020. All the while, throughout the trial, they paint him as a liar. While we have a better understanding of what's happened, that picture is still frustratingly incomplete. Tony Tote's story seemingly resumed when jury selection began on April 4th, 2022. But between the events of late 2019 and the first day of jury selection, Tony hadn't just been languishing in jail. He first appeared in court on January 16th, the same day he was appointed a public defender. He pled not guilty on January 30th, and on that same day he had his trial set for April 27th, 2020. Of course, it would be much longer until the trial actually started. Tony's trial was delayed repeatedly. First because the state said it needed more time to prepare, and later because of the death of Tony's lead defense attorney, Peter Schmurr. Courts in Florida were also slowed due to the pandemic. While we waited for something to happen, a few significant rulings trickled out of the Osceola County Courthouse that would come to bear during the trial. Judge Keith Karsten ruled that one of Tony's statements to police would be excluded from the trial because the Osceola County Sheriff's Office deputies did not read him his full Miranda rights ahead of that first interview. The defense had argued all three of Tony's statements, two taken on January 13th and one on the 15th, should be excluded because he was not of sound mind. But the judge ruled that the second and third statements would be allowed. He also ruled Tony wouldn't be required to wear handcuffs or be restrained during his trial. That prosecutors wouldn't be allowed to mention the fact that tote means death in German. And that references to the victim's murder or to the murder scene wouldn't be allowed. Prosecutors would also not be allowed to bring up the healthcare fraud case in Connecticut in which Tony is alleged to have bilked the government out of more than $130,000 in fraudulent bills. This was shocking because so many people, including myself, seemed to think that the fraud case, the family and its business debts were somehow related to the murders. Also, while Tony was awaiting his criminal trial, he was facing civil legal action from both his condo association and Bank of America related to the condo he owned in celebration. Those actions are still open as of June, 2022. After 12 months in which it seemed like Tony's case was moving at a glacial pace, things started happening quickly. Our podcast production team had been pulled in different directions. Carlos and I had transitioned into new positions at the day, and Taylor had left our company for a job at a different newspaper. Then, suddenly...
1: Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, good morning. When it
0: seemed like everyone's attention was elsewhere, your, uh, the trial that had been delayed for more than a year finally got
1: underway. We are going to begin the case of the state of Florida versus Anthony John Tote.
0: Four days later,
1: it was over. Madam foreperson, has the jury reached a unanimous verdict? Yes, sir. If you'll please give those forms of verdict to the court deputy.
0: When the trial started on April 11th, we watched on a remote video feed as Assistant State's Attorney Danielle Pinnell walked the jury through the days after relatives lost contact with Tony and Megan.
2: December of 2019 started out like every other December for the Tote family.
0: There were thousands of people watching this live stream, but only a handful sitting in the courtroom.
2: At some point in the middle of December, the extended family of the Totes, began to get worried
0: occasionally the camera panned across the mostly empty benches in the gallery
2: sheriff's office went out to 202 reserve place in celebration multiple times
0: i recognized megan's aunt cindy sitting behind the prosecutors with two or three others
2: on january 13th of 2020 law enforcement finally made contact with the defendant
0: there were a handful of people in the last row And what looked like a few members of the media seated near the camera behind the defense table,
2: law enforcement made contact with the defendant who advised them that his family, his wife, Megan tote was upstairs sleeping.
0: The view of Tony was mostly from behind though. He occasionally turned to his lawyer or to face the jury. He looked considerably slimmer than he had on the day he was arrested.
2: He advised law enforcement that his daughter, Zoe Tote, was maybe in the garage.
0: Pinnell's opening was short and matter-of-fact. As we expected, the state leaned heavily on Tony's confession.
2: Went into Zoe Tote's room while she was asleep, and he took the time to sit with her, And then he rolled over on top of her until she suffocated.
0: We did learn a few disturbing details, including that Tony was most worried about killing his son, Tyler, because Tyler was the fastest kid and could escape from him and Megan.
2: He was afraid that if something didn't go the way that he wanted, Tyler Tote would escape.
0: We also learned that Tony took the bodies of his family, placed them in the master bedroom and stayed in that house and that room with them for weeks.
2: The evidence will also show that the defendant, since the date of their deaths until January 13th of 2020, when he was found by law enforcement, stayed in the room as well.
0: Pinnell outlined a motive that she said Tony divulged to police.
2: The defendant in his interview um, says that Megan Tote and himself had an agreement that everybody needed to die in order to pass over to the other side together because the apocalypse was coming. And you'll hear that in the defendant's interview.
0: It was jarring to get this clear answer from the state as we'd considered this theory on and off the podcast for months. Pinnell had a familiar refrain of the evidence will show and finished her remarks in about 10 minutes.
2: And the evidence will show after you have an opportunity to hear everything, the state's confident. You're gonna return verdicts of guilty in this case. Thank
4: you. Yes, I do.
0: Among the first witnesses introduced were deputies Robert Barroso and Alexander Hope.
2: When did you go? an attempt to make contact?
4: I believe, uh, yes, it would be January the 2nd. I attempted at both locations and January the 7th.
0: We knew that sheriff's deputies had visited the Totes' homes in early January, but we had never been able to speak to them.
2: Did you leave anything at either of the residents that um, would indicate that you were there? Yes. What did you leave?
0: I left uh, business cards at each location for them to to get a contact back. Now, they were sitting on the stand, describing their visits to the quiet neighborhood in celebration.
2: What did you notice about the front of 202 Reserve Place? Um, The
1: blinds were all closed. Um, There was no cars parked in front.
0: It was still perplexing to me how these deputies could be dispatched to the neighborhood multiple times and not find anything.
1: It was about 6.40 in the morning when I first arrived. Um, But I was out there for a good few hours, till about 11 or so. Uh, going back and forth, talking to neighbors.
0: Even more maddening is knowing the Tote family was dead inside the house the entire time.
1: Did you
2: make contact with anybody from the Tote family?
1: I made contact with no one from the Tote family.
2: Did you make the same attempts at knocking at all three of the doors?
1: I did, both
0: days. Hogue testified that he found the Tote family's minivan parked at the condo complex.
2: Was it parked closest to where the actual condo was, 9306?
0: No,
1: 9306 in Building 9, I found the van behind Building 11, uh, back then at the back of the parking
0: lot. We had heard a lot about this van from amateur sleuths ahead of the trial. But in the context of the trial, it was another detail that seemed important because Pinnell asked about it specifically yet it ended up going nowhere.
2: Can you describe the general parking lot for that area? Was there parking by Building 9?
1: There was when I was there.
2: Will you say your first and last name and spell your last name?
1: Yes, it's Michael Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S.
0: When federal investigator Michael Phelps, who was among the first to find the Tote family dead, took the stand, His testimony was awkward in a way.
2: On January 13th of 2020, did you attempt to make contact with somebody identified as Anthony Tote in your capacity as a law enforcement officer?
0: Yes, I did. Remember, before the trial, the court decided not to include anything about Tony's alleged healthcare fraud. So, Phelps was repeatedly referred to by Pinnell as a law enforcement officer.
2: After you opened the door to the residence... What, if anything, did
1: you notice? Um, you know, the same thing that we had seen from outside. All the lights were off um, <clears throat> and uh, noticed a really foul odor right, uh, right upon opening the door.
0: It was baffling to me that they didn't tell the jury the very reason why Phelps and the feds were at the house that day and why the Tote family's bodies were found when they were.
2: How long have you been a law enforcement officer?
1: Uh, approximately eight years the
2: odor that you're speaking about are you familiar with
1: it no ma'am not particularly okay.
0: while phelps is describing his and his team's spotting of and interacting with tony exactly as we'd heard it before i couldn't help being stunned by the fact that these investigators were looking into healthcare fraud and wound up finding dead bodies
1: so we asked um where the location of his daughter was
2: what did the defendant say
1: um, he said something regarding uh, her being asleep, and he may have referenced um, being at a sleepover.
0: I, of course, can see why the defense didn't want the healthcare fraud detail in the trial, but I wasn't sure why the prosecution wouldn't include it. Wouldn't it strengthen what they said Tony's motive is?
2: Was anybody else alive in the house except for Anthony
0: To? No, ma'am. Osceola County Sheriff's Deputy Christopher Bose was called by the state.
5: I asked Mr. Tote if his wife was at the house. He stated that she was upstairs sleeping. Um, I asked, I believe, if there was any children in the residence. Um, his statement was somewhere along the lines, I'm not sure if they're at a friend's house sleeping over.
0: Police body camera footage was shown to the jury it was surreal to see this video straight from an officer after being told directly by the sheriff's office that we wouldn't be able to see any of the evidence while the courts had the case but then here it was exactly what happened that day replete with police mispronouncing totes name the door police had their guns drawn on tony until they realized he was not a threat It took him a long time to get down the stairs. He was breathing heavily, and he was mumbling. I can't remember if they wanted to sit last Keep coming down, To see this moment of reckoning, with the authorities finally becoming aware of the tragedy that befell the Tote family, and to witness Tony seeing both healthcare fraud investigators and local sheriff's deputies in his home. What's your
1: wife's name? Megan. Yeah. Is Magazine.
0: Honestly, the surreality of it comes from the fact right, that I felt we'd already seen what happened before. It had been explained already by federal investigators and information released to the news media. So seeing it was like déjà vu, even if we hadn't seen it before. It was uncanny how similar even the voice of investigator Melissa O'Neill was in the scene at the time to how she described the scene when she asks Tony. Where's Zoe? We still
2: can't find the daughter. Uh, What? Where's Zoe? I haven't seen her, she went
3: with you. Oh no, I I, haven't seen her, it's sleeping, she won't I haven't seen anything. I think I'll have to check the garage.
0: Tony was clearly physically unwell in the video, as he needed support to stand. Mm -hmm. As for his mental wellness, he understood Mm -hmm. the questions being asked of him, but would sometimes mumble through or give obviously wrong answers. To actually hear him say that Zoe was at a sleepover too, the audacity of such a claim as law enforcement swarms your home, can't be overstated.
3: Officer Phelps, when you observed Mr. Toad, did you observe him to be waddling?
1: I'm sorry, waddling?
3: Yes, was he waddling?
1: Yes, ma'am. He was shaky. Yeah.
0: In multiple cross-examinations, his defense focused on establishing that he was not in a sound state of mind or body when police found him.
2: Was he, You observed him to be mumbling? Yes. You observed him to be inc- uh, incoherent?
1: Yes. Some of the things he was saying um, weren't coming out, clearly. Could not decipher them.
5: That photograph uh, is an overall shot of the front porch and is an overall shot of two cell phones that were located on the table there on the porch.
0: Emily Seda, the supervisor of the Osceola Sheriff's Forensics Unit, walked the prosecution through the house with the photos she took at the crime scene. And
2: what is the room that you can partly see that's directly across from the dining room? That was a room that was
5: set up what appeared to be a playroom with, like, toys and books.
0: There were many photos shown in court that were not included in the original release to the media.
5: What is to the left? There's, like, a small recessed area in the, in the wall with, like, a countertop.
0: Her photos of the first floor showed a neat and orderly home with almost nothing out of the ordinary. A contrast to the grisly scene upstairs.
2: And this is how it appeared when you first arrived. Yes. Did you look inside of these packages? Yes, I did. Did you photograph the inside of these packages? Yes, I did. What did you locate inside these packages?
5: Uh, Mostly children's toys.
0: There's a stack of Amazon packages, and inside some of the boxes we see stuffed animals, a kid's microscope still in the packaging, and a number of smaller boxes in Christmas wrapping paper.
2: What of note were you marking in the trash can?
0: At the bottom left of the of cor- uh,
5: the photo near the marker, you can see a bottle of Benadryl that's upside down.
0: Pinnell and Seda go through the photos of the second floor, stopping to note the many packages of Benadryl found throughout the house.
2: On the banister of the stairs, there is a white bottle. Did you ultimately collect that bottle? Yes, I did. What... What is the labeling on the outside of that bottle?
0: Benadryl. In Alec and Tyler's room, we see two bed frames with no mattresses. Did
2: you find any mattresses
0: in this bedroom? No, I did not. In Zoe's room, we see a mattress on the floor with no frame and just a fitted sheet.
2: What is of note in this photograph?
5: On top of this wicker basket is an empty uh, Benadryl box.
0: When they get to the master bedroom, where the bodies were found, we see images of the messy scene that remained in the aftermath of the murders.
5: In this photo, this is a black and green knife sheath.
0: As Pinnell cycles through the images on the projector screen, she lingers briefly on one that shows a green chair in the corner of the room with two stuffed animals sitting on it, a rabbit in a white dress and Goofy wearing a yellow top hat.
5: That chair is located, um, upon entering the room, it would have been to the left back corner of the bedroom.
0: Pinnell points to a piece of paper at the foot of the chair.
2: This note, was it
0: collected? Yes, it was. Did you do anything with it? I processed it. Later, Pinnell hands Seda a yellow envelope containing that note and enters it into evidence.
2: Does this package The typed note that was collected from the chair in the master bedroom in this case.
0: Yes It's not clear at the time what the significance of this note is It is not shown on the projector screen or read aloud but later in the trial it would make this strange story even stranger
5: That is under the bed on the left side of the
0: bed Back when we first saw photos of the crime scene.
5: Uh, the bed in the master bedroom.
0: Two of the most puzzling details were a BB gun that looked like a handgun and a receipt for another separate BB gun. What was the
5: It was a BB gun.
0: Seda's testimony confirmed that there were in fact two BB guns, one found under the bed and another found in a bag in a closet.
5: That is the master closet in the master bedroom
0: we would find out later why Tony had these guns.
5: That is an additional BB gun.
0: Receiving those crime scene photos, released to the media without any comment or explanation to give them context, was like being handed 100 pieces to a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and no box to show what the final picture would be. Just when it seemed that picture was starting to get clearer, we'd hear other tantalizing details that would end up leading us nowhere. On cross-examination, Seda is asked about a journal.
3: Did you collect any like folders or journals or anything like that? That, yes. When you say that, yes, what
0: which is? Yes? Uh, the journal. Did you
3: photograph and document that journal as well? Uh, yes. And was that also collected and submitted into evidence?
0: Yes, it was. This made me immediately think back to Tony's communications from jail. In the letter to his father, Tony describes Megan burning her journals as one of the moments that set everything in motion. I woke up Sunday morning to the smell of burning. Producer Carlos Virgen read from Tony's letter in episodes 8 and 9. It was Meg burning journal entries she had written about her aunt and uncle, as she didn't want them to read them, as she was saying the world was going to end and she was going to die, etc. And in one of the phone calls to his sister, he asks Chrissy if she had found the journals.
3: You get my note? I did,
1: uh, I don't know where any of those journals are, and we're not going to be able to go into the house, it doesn't look like.
0: We wondered if these journals would reveal something about Tony and Megan's private life. But then, on day three of the trial, Pinnell said that the state did not plan to enter the journals into evidence. There has been no discussion of journals. I don't intend to introduce the journals, so I'm not sure what this is. We thought the trial was going to provide clarity in this story, but the first day and a half called that into question. Seeing the body cam footage and additional crime scene photos made everything more tangible, but it was hard to find anything definitive in the forensic evidence. In
3: photographing him, there was an injury on his hand, correct? That is correct.
0: We had seen photos of Tony from when he was taken into custody, and it appeared that he had several injuries.
3: And then on his chest, I believe there were also some wounds indicated. Yes, there were.
0: Forensic technician Selena Melendez confirmed this, describing injuries to his neck, abdomen, and hands.
3: And then um, I believe the last photographs, SS-15 and 16 were of a wound or something to the neck area. Uh, it, I wouldn't say it's a wound. It's more of kind of like a impression or a mark.
0: Crime scene manager Aaron West found that fingerprints on Benadryl boxes at the scene matched Tony's.
2: The latent print I identified to the right middle finger of Tote.
0: But that was unsurprising given that he had lived in the house for weeks after everyone had died.
2: I conducted the comparison with the known prints and identified uh, this latent print to the right thumb of Tote. Starting with the handle swab, so this would be the swab of the green and black, black knife handle. What were the findings?
0: There is male DNA on one of the knives found at the scene. So for the swabs from the handle, I um, it demonstrated the presence of a mixture of at least uh, consistent with three donors with at least one of them being a male contributor. And there may have been male DNA under one of Zoe's fingernails. There
1: was additional information at a gender marker that I can't interpret that suggested the possibility of an additional um, male DNA in the sample.
0: But DNA analyst Christopher Conklin testified he couldn't rule out any of the family members having touched the knife.
2: The fact that all of these individuals are possible contributors, you did not rule out any of them from touching the
0: knife. Or any sort of means that their DNA could have gotten there. That's correct. Correct. Maybe the most compelling evidence came from the medical examiner, Jennifer Nara.
2: Did you um, perform an autopsy on somebody identified to you as Zoe Tote? Yes, they did.
0: We already knew that the official cause of death was, quote, "...homicidal violence um, of, of unspecified, unspecified means,
3: means in anxiety. association with diphenhydramine toxicity."
0: unspecified means is a thoroughly unsatisfying answer so we hope the trial would provide more clarity on how they died
2: is there anything that you noticed in those photographs that might um, indicate to you why uh, zoe's body was slightly more decomposed
3: um, i noticed uh, more than her mother and her two brothers she was wrapped um, with more blankets and kind of swaddled a little bit more so that would have pretty much held in the heat um, of her body as she was decomposing more.
0: As we heard earlier, Zoe's body was too decomposed to determine if she had been stabbed. But Nara testified that the knife wounds to Alec and Tyler's abdomens had occurred after they died.
3: So the wound on Alex probed at least four and a half inches deep into the abdominal cavity. It, um, sliced through his left eighth rib on the front of his chest but other than that it did not hit any vital organs um, didn't hit the bowel and there was no hemorrhage inside his abdominal cavity
2: what does that indicate to you the fact that
3: there was no hemorrhage in the abdominal cavity so even in someone that's decomposed if I don't see any evidence of blood or hemorrhage, to me, it shows that this stab wound was inflicted pretty much post mortem, after he was already deceased.
0: This detail complicates and raises questions about Tony's confession, which we'll hear in the next episode.
3: Absent the
2: other circumstances surrounding Tyler's death, would
3: this stab wound have been fatal?
0: No. Megan, on the other hand, had been stabbed before she died.
3: So given the state of decomposition and the fact that she actually has some hemorrhage, uh, to me, that indicates that she was she um, sustained those injuries and to on when she was alive. Did
2: absent the other circumstances surrounding Megan's death, would these two stab wounds have been fatal?
0: No. Her wounds were at a downward angle, and Nara testified that these wounds could have been self-inflicted.
3: Well, when I did the internal examination, I followed the path of the stab wounds. It was going in a, uh, what we call front to back, and in a downward direction. And that's something that could be sustained if someone were stabbing themselves, or if they were being stabbed by somebody else.
0: She also said there was no evidence of suffocation, but couldn't rule it out
3: again for Megan. Tote,
2: were you able to rule out smothering? And uh, no, I was not.
0: According to Nara, the only clear link between the deaths had to do with Benadryl poisoning. It was disappointing to hear the testimony because it didn't clear nor did it convict Tony.
2: Did you receive a canine in relation to this case?
0: I did. Veterinarian Adam Stern performed an autopsy on Breezy, the totes dog, but couldn't say how she had died other than that it was not from natural causes.
1: So on the right side of the thorax, so the chest of the dog, there was a a hole. It was approximately one centimeter um, in diameter. He
0: described finding a small hole on Breezy's body, but couldn't say if it was a stab wound.
1: Did it
2: appear that at first it might've been some type of wound? that was inflicted?
4: Yes, it could have been.
0: He also couldn't say if Breezy had been suffocated or smothered.
2: The um, the defect on the one side of the torso, could that have been caused by the dog being upside down in death and part of decomposition? That's, that's possible. All right, thank you, Doctor. to form an opinion as to whether the amount of diphenhydramine in Zoe's system would have been fatal to her.
4: It's simply not possible uh, because of the condition of the body and and the tissues.
0: Dr. Bruce Goldberger, a professor of toxicology, testified that all four of the totes had ingested diphenhydramine before they died, but he could not tell if it had killed them.
2: Were you able to form an opinion as to whether those levels would have been fatal?
4: Again, my opinion is the same as Zoe, uh, that it's not possible in a definitive way to say that this was the sole toxicological cause of death.
0: It seemed important that this was in the already vague description for cause of death, and yet even the toxicologist couldn't confirm that it was a cause of death.
2: Reviewing that, along with your experience, did you believe that these levels were high?
4: I- I would say they're remarkable. Uh, it's hard to say what low and high is, particularly in a body decomposing, but they're remarkable. That is, they're significant. The, the findings are important. They're not artifactual.
0: To borrow some words from Dr. Goldberger, there's a lot about this case that is remarkable, but not a lot that is definitive. We learn some new information, but some of that information just confuses things further. If the stab wounds didn't kill the totes, was it the Benadryl? Were they suffocated? We had hoped the forensic evidence would answer these questions, but the passage of time and the decomposition of the bodies had made this impossible. We would have to rely on the account of the one person who was there.
2: This flash drive um, contains the interview that was conducted with Anthony Tote on January fifteenth
0: of twenty twenty. It does. Throughout the beginning of the trial, I was frustrated as I waited to see how the state would get at the larger looming unanswered questions. I wasn't satisfied with these small questions of detail. We've poured over every detail in this case multiple times. It was time for a grand satisfaction for anyone following this case. It was time to make some sense of what happened to Megan, Alec, Tyler, Zoe, and Breezy. Even more, I needed to see Tony's confession that we've heard so much and so little about. Luckily, the wait didn't last long. The state dove into Tony's interview with police on the second day of the trial. I'm required to inform you that you have the right to remain silent. Do you understand? Can you speak up a little bit? Yes, okay. Anything you say may may be used against you in court. Do you understand? next time i'm looking for the toe family
1: um, you do you obviously you're in a set of handcuffs right now in the Oswald county sheriff's office if i could I ask you could you raise your right hand for me do you swear that
0: everything that we're speaking about today is going to be the truth nothing but the truth the best your knowledge, so you got yes. okay if you haven't already please subscribe to looking for the toe family on your favorite <laughs> podcast app and don't forget to rate the show find us on facebook twitter and instagram Looking for the Tope Family is hosted and reported by Sten Spinella, produced by Peter Huapi and Carlos Vierhen, written by Sten Spinella and Peter Huapi, editing by Peter Huapi, and music by Carlos Virgen. Tim Cotter is our executive editor, and Isaskun Lernietta is our managing editor. This has been a production of The Day in New London, Connecticut.